as I said, my name is Josh Jones. I am at Georgia Southern University in Statesboro, Georgia, and uh, Hope Salt has been amazing so far for you. Uh, sorry about the slides and lack of um, lack of those. I don't know what's going on with the HMI stuff. I used to work for Apple, so uh, that's a cool segue um, with tech stuff. Uh, normally, this is uh, pretty seamless for me, but yeah, I'm a little flustered, I guess, to start off, but it's good. So um, I want to show all of you a quick picture. This is my family, uh, if you can see it. It's me, my wife, Brittany, and my daughter, Evangeline. Uh, Evangeline, we call her Evie. She's two years old, and um, she has just started to hit the age where she's starting to uh, starting to talk, starting to do a whole lot of fun things. And um, just the other day, she uh, we were at home. She was playing. She was uh, in her room, and she came running around the corner, and she said, "Mommy, I pooped." <laughs> and of course, two years old—that's kind of a common occurrence. And so, um, Brittany, my wife, she kind of uh, checks her diaper, looks, and she's like, "You don't have poop? What are you talking about?" And then Evie kind of turns around and um, covers her hand over her mouth and starts laughing. She said, "I no poop. Just kidding." <laughs> I tell you that because um, if you know anything about me, I'm a jokester, and I play jokes all the time. I'm sarcastic, and I sometimes do that. I'll say something. Someone will do it or look, and I'm like, nah, just kidding. And I, I just do it. It's part of my personality. And um, I started realizing at two years old, we're wired to start mimicking people that we're around the most. Um, even before then. So two years old, my daughter's picking this stuff up for me. It drives my wife crazy because now she's running around the house claiming poop when there's no poop, uh, which is actually a great thing for a parent. Uh, but uh, it's discipleship right there in and of itself. Um, I have discipled my daughter to be a jokester at the early age of two, and I can't wait to see what she does with that um, later on. I know I say that now, uh, and there's probably a lot of practical jokes in my future um, actually played on me. And so uh, all that being said, one of the things that I love the most about parenting is that it mirrors this picture that we have with our Father, um, with God, and our relationship with Jesus, and that uh, we mimic who we spend the most time with. Um, that's the same with our kids. It's the same with our friends. It's the same if you have a mentor or a mentee. Uh, that's what discipleship in um, kind of its purest form is is uh, imitate me as I do this. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But today we're going to talk just briefly about discipleship. Um, none of this um, is going to be like earth-shattering for you. Uh, I, um, I hope it is, but uh, it's going to be kind of simple. Uh, so what is discipleship? Uh, what does it mean to be a disciple-maker? And then how do we do it on the university campus? Um, just some basic questions, kind of some fundamentals of what, how do we take what we're learning here at SALT and bring that back to the university campus. So does that sound good to you guys? Awesome. Um, I'm going to pray real quick and we'll get started. So Jesus, thank you so much for uh, bringing us here. Thank you for being present in this room, uh, regardless of technical difficulties, uh, um, whatever uh, baggage we bring, God, you are here. And we worship you. Uh, we thank you for this call to be disciples of you and uh, to be disciple makers. Uh, would you send us out from here with a fresh vision for what that means and how to do it? 
we ask uh, for your guidance and your peace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so just a quick response from a couple of you. What is a disciple? You want? I know you're probably. What's that? Person in the Bible. All right. Anyone else? Someone who shares the word. One more. It could really be anyone who's learning something under someone else. Good, good. Yeah, um, I think all of those are good. Person from the Bible, of course, we see the disciples all the way through the New Testament. Um, we see um, someone who's uh, learning something from someone else, and I'm sorry, I forgot your response. What? Share of the word, absolutely. And so those three, I would think, um, definitely fall into the definition of what a disciple is. But before we talk about what uh, it means to be a disciple maker, we have to kind of clarify that a little bit. Um, the the thing is, that term disciple, we've heard it thrown around a lot. Um, in Christianity, uh, you'll, you could go to church, you could sit here at Salt, and you could hear that term disciple. And it just kind of be a throwaway term. You're like, oh, well... Yeah, uh, someone who follows after Jesus. Or uh, what exactly does that mean for us today? We have to look again, as Kurt would say, look at the context. Um, we're going to start with a couple passages from the Gospel of Mark. We'll dive into those and see if we can pull out a, um, a framework of what a disciple is. So, in Mark two, we see Jesus um, begin calling the disciples, calling these twelve men. Um, to follow after him. And in verse 13, we pick up, and let's see, I have them on the slides. I'll pull them up on my phone as well. All right, so Mark 2, 13, then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. <coughs> Excuse me. In Jesus' day, um, this would not be a, um, a rare occurrence. Someone calling, someone to follow after um, someone who's calling them to be their disciple. So Jesus saying, follow me and be my disciple uh, for Levi is not a surprising thing. What There's so much more depth in this, though, than just being someone who follows after Jesus. In his day, sons were trained in their father's craft. Uh, Joseph was a carpenter, so uh, we know Jesus was taught carpentry. Boys would sit under the teaching of local rabbis. They were known as that rabbi's disciples. Um, they learned spiritual disciplines from that rabbi and would continue to teach others that as well. Um, this form of a father-son, teacher-pupil relationship um, was common. Um, it was common with a craftsman and apprentice. Um, and there's no doubt that Levi knew what it meant. Uh, so what it meant was that Jesus was calling Levi to be an apprentice. He was calling him to learn a skill, to be trained, to learn the discipline of his master, which would be Jesus, and become like him. So as Jesus calls the 12 disciples, this is the goal that Jesus um, has in mind, is to be a follower that does what Jesus does and looks like Jesus. In Mark 8, we see a little bit more depth of this. Um, Mark 8, 34 says, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, 
You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. But what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And everyone says no. So Jesus here is saying that if we want to follow after him, we have to take up our cross and follow him. What's interesting about this passage and Jesus specifically referencing the cross is that this is before his crucifixion. Uh, this is before Jesus, the symbol that we now associate with Christianity was set in place. Um, this was before Jesus was set upon that. And so Jesus is saying, take up the cross, which everyone at this time would have known as a Roman form of crucifixion or a Roman form of execution. And um, he's saying, before his crucifixion, identify with death. You have to die to something to be my disciple. You have to take up your cross. You have to give up your own way, and you follow mine. He says that we have to give up our own way of thinking, our own way of doing things to follow after him. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, then you're choosing to die to your own self-will. You're choosing to fall under the lordship of Jesus and being the king. You're now his servant. You fall under him and listen to his commands, listen to his decrees, do what he says to do. Jesus here is demanding identification with his suffering, with his work of atonement on the cross. He's identifying that there and he's saying, I'm going to die for your sins. Now you have to die to yourself and die to follow me. There's a pastor in World War II. Um, he is a pastor um, of a movement called the Confessing Church. Uh, his name's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Have, have any of you heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Okay. Bonhoeffer's one of my um, role models of the faith. I love um, some of his writings. I had a, um, a mentor of mine in college give me his book, Cost of Discipleship, and it changed my life. Um, if there's uh, one resource I would recommend for you from this, it would be that. Uh, you can find it as either Discipleship or Cost of Discipleship. Same book, two different titles by Bonhoeffer. And um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in World War II Germany. He actually was executed for his faith for um, taking a stand against the heinous crimes of the Third Reich. And so uh, he was... Um, he would speak out against Hitler, speak out against the atrocities of the Holocaust, and um, actually calling the church to step up and do something about it as well in Germany. And ultimately, he ended up dying for his faith, for speaking out against Hitler uh, during this time. But in this book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, there's this famous passage that he writes, and it says this. It says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It's that dying of the old man, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it's the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. 
basically what um, Bonhoeffer is saying here is, can be summed up in that middle statement. When Christ calls a man or when Christ calls a woman, he bids them come and die. It sounds very depressing to be a disciple of Jesus, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I would probably say the same thing. Um, but what we see, uh, kind of in an earthly sense, we think, oh man, dying to ourselves, there's a lot of death associated with discipleship. That sounds like nothing I want to be involved in. But then we realize the person of Jesus. We realize the relationship that this death is coming out of. That we get to be in relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of the universe. Uh, the person who knows us intimately, knows our um, inward being, knows how he's formed us, what we like, what we dislike, how we will continue to follow him, um, how he can challenge us and push us forward to grow. Um, we are in a discipleship relationship. And so a disciple, um, I would say as a disciple, is someone who resembles Christ and his actions attitudes and reflections and it's because of the relationship that that person has with Jesus it's out of an overflow of relationship with Jesus that we become his disciple through deep relationship with him we become someone who loves what Jesus loved, think what Jesus thought and to act like Jesus would act in every situation to be a disciple means to lay down our own life our own will uh, for the sake of Christ and committing our lives entirely to his lordship. There's a passage in Matthew where Jesus is talking and he's saying there are those that will call me Lord, Lord, and I will say I never knew them. Growing up, I heard this passage and I thought, wow, that's not a God I want to follow at all. That I'd be able to call out to him and then at one point he's going to say, you know, I never knew you. But I think what Jesus is trying to say here is that the lordship of Jesus comes out of a relationship. And if we truly call him Lord, we're going to be in a relationship of dependence on him than one that we want to die to the things in us that aren't of him. We want to die to those things that he's calling us out of or um, die to the things that we're currently in so that we can get where he's calling us to. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah. Awesome. And so um, a disciple is someone who follows after Jesus, definitely someone who was a reference in the New Testament. I would say a disciple is a follower of Jesus who has an intimate relationship with him, who uh, makes disciples themselves. I think that last part uh, is a little tricky because we view the following after Jesus as the main part of discipleship. But in Matthew 28, uh, it's the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has risen from the grave. He's um, speaking to his disciples and followers, and he gives them kind of a final um, final hurrah, like, go get him. Um, and then he uh, arises into heaven to be seated next to the Father. He, the disciples go to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to empower them. And uh, does anyone know what the Holy Spirit's empowering them to do. Absolutely. Empowering them to do the Great Commission. The Great Commission, if you don't know, it's Matthew 28. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So first, you become Jesus' disciple. You become someone who follows after Jesus, has a relationship, a deep relationship with Jesus. Um, that comes out of prayer. That comes out of implementing spiritual disciplines in your life. It comes out of um, surrounding yourself with community that encourages you and grows you in relationship with Christ. It comes out of all these different aspects, but you become a disciple of Jesus, doing what he says, dying to yourself, and following after him. And then you make more disciples. So discipleship is uh, two-sided. It's inward-focused on you, but it's also outward-focused on the other. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, maybe you should make disciples, maybe we should make this Christianity thing a worldwide phenomenon. No, he says, go and do this. This, I'm commissioning you, I'm sending you out. He says, every one of you, if you're a disciple of mine, you will make disciples other disciples. You will invite people into a relationship with me. You will tell them about me. That's true fellowship with Jesus. But at the same time, that's kind of daunting. I don't know if you've ever been on campus, if you've ever tried talking to anyone else about your faith. I have a dad who's not a believer, who's not a Christian, and um, I can tell you how many times I've tried to have conversations with them about Jesus and how many times I've been shut down and how many times I've been about to open my mouth and just been scared to do it. Um, it's daunting to be a disciple maker, to be someone who tells others about Jesus. But Jesus says here, he says, go and I will be with you. Go and I'll be with you to the end of the age. He's with us and then he, at the beginning of that statement he even says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So now go. It's kind of like Jesus is saying, Go and do this. I'm giving you the authority to do this. And I'm going to be with you as you do it. It's a little more encouraging now to be able to share our faith, be able to talk about Jesus, be able to stand up um, and say, hey, this is what I believe. This is the person that I'm following. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, if you don't know this verse, this is where we get the, um, the name Chi Alpha from. It uh, talks about um, not evaluating others from a human point of view, uh, but seeing them in, kind of through the eyes of Christ. Uh, verse 18 picks up and says, All this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, or Chi Alpha. Uh, in the, uh, it's Christos Apostoloi in the Greek, where we get Chi Alpha from. Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So as Chi Alpha, that's what our name is. Uh, our name is our mission. We're called to be Christ's ambassadors, to tell others about him, uh, to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. And um, Jesus wants you to lead your friends, your classmates, your peers, your professors, your uh, family members, anyone you're in a relationship Jesus with, Jesus wants you to lead them to him and deepen their relationship with him. And so this kind of gets down to now a time where we get to have a little bit of a group conversation um, about how do we do this. I wanted to give an opportunity for all of us to have some input uh, because I know how we do this on campus at Georgia Southern. 
I know how we did this on campus when I was with Chi Alpha in Washington, D.C., which looked totally different than Chi Alpha in the middle of southern Georgia. Um, discipleship is different for each person. It's different for every campus. It's different for every climate. Um, but the consistent thread of discipleship is that uh, discipleship always is done through relationship. If you don't have a relationship with someone, you cannot be making a disciple out of them. And so um, all of us have different things that we like. All of us have different things that we dislike. How many of you like going to, and sitting in an art museum and pondering about life? How many of you dislike that? Okay, how many of you like black coffee? Coffee with cream and four sh scoops of sugar in it. Awesome. I'm a black coffee guy all the way. Um, how about video games? Reading a book in the silence. Okay, what about both? All right. <laughs> See, all of us have different likes, dislikes, things that we um, kind of have an affinity for. And you probably have surrounded yourself with people that have the same affinity as you. That way, now you have something in common and you start there. Use that as the common thread to start building relationships. Um, the one thing that I found um, in DC was really difficult. Um, we, did, uh, we were at Chi Alpha for the past three years, just made the move to Georgia Southern about six months ago, and loved the city. It came from Georgia to DC um, in a kind of crazy time for uh, being in Washington, D.C., in our nation's capital. But um, one of the big things we found is that students, individuals, everyone in D.C. is kind of on their own path. They want nothing to do really with community. They just want to do their own thing, achieve their own goals. And if someone comes along and has the same thing in mind, then maybe they'll be in relationships. Um, they weren't really hungry for um, community, per se, but they were hungry for something, some sense of connection. And so for us, we decided, hey, we're going to be able to be a place where we provide relationship and we provide meaning, we provide purpose, uh, and that always loops back to Jesus. Um, it didn't look like it would maybe on some of your campuses where you're hanging out 24-7. For a lot of our students, we had students who were um, interning with the NSA, and it's like they don't have time just to give to have a board game night. But you, if you can nail them down during their lunch hour, you can have a great conversation with them. Um, that is what discipleship looked like in the context of the big city for us. But in, at Southern, students have a, a plethora of time. Uh, there's a, a good bit of time to say, hey, let's go to the rec center, or let's do this, or hey, come over to our house and have a meal. That's what discipleship now looks like, um, and it's a little bit more freeing. But you have to be able to weigh those things. Uh, and figure that out. So the Apostle Paul, probably about eight times throughout his letters in the New Testament, he says this one phrase over and over again in um, kind of different contexts. And he says this, he says, imitate me. One time he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's, the, um, it's a consistent thread that he, he references when he's talking to Timothy or when he's talking to the churches, he's saying, imitate me or imitate this person as they follow Christ. That's done through relationship. That's the basis of discipleship is finding someone who maybe doesn't know how to read the Bible um, or 
how to, yeah, let's start there. Um, so you have a relationship with someone, they're a brand new Christian, um, you're starting to have conversation, and you find out they don't know how to read the Bible. You say, let me show you. And then you sit down with them and you show them, show you how to read the Bible, how to grab context, how to hear from God through Scripture. That in itself is discipleship. And then you move on to the next topic. Oh, um, you don't know how to pray. Well, let me show you. And as you're doing that, they're growing and they're learning what it looks like for someone to teach how to continue to pass down the faith. That's what discipleship is um, in, in its essence. It's all done through relationship. It's all based on that phrase, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think sometimes in the church we overcomplicate what discipleship is, and we say uh, it has to be this program, this thing that we do. Really, a lot of it's just based on a living life with individuals. Um, you following after Jesus uh, fully, you learning and developing your spiritual disciplines and learning how to pray, learning how to read scripture, so, and then passing that on. Um, one uh, last thing, and then we'll start having some conversation. Um, discipleship is often seen like this. Um, if you're good at something or you know um, what to do in a specific situation or you know how to read scripture, we'll, we'll start from there. You know how to read, pick up the book of Philemon and read it, get its context, um, figure out what the message is saying and how to translate that to your personal life. You know how to do that. Then you invite someone to do it with you. You say, let me sit down with you and do this while you watch. That's the second step. The third step is then, now let me watch as you do it on your own. And then fourth, you release them and say, now find someone teach that to you. That is discipleship. It's the same, you've probably heard the saying, um, teach a man to fish and he'll, or give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, teach a man to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. That's what discipleship is. We are teaching people to carry on their faith and continue to walk in Jesus. So I want to take just the last few minutes. We have about um, 15, 15 minutes left uh, before we wrap up with some Q&A. I want to take some minutes to break into groups, about four or five people in each group. And I want you to start having some of these conversations. What does this look like in your campus? Um, what does it look like for you to build a relationship with someone? Who can you build a relationship with? And how do you take that relationship and start implementing um, those discipleship questions? Who is Jesus? How do you read scripture? How do you pray? How do you fast? How do you start doing that in your context? Um, I'm not looking for like concrete answers here. I think it's good for you to brainstorm it in your own way and what you would do. And um, just ask the Holy Spirit to give you guidance on that. Uh, through all of this, um, discipleship, I think one lesson I've really learned is that if we try to be formulaic about discipleship, um, there's always going to be time where it kind of falls, you fall flat on your face with it, where you don't have an answer for a specific question, where um, that relationship didn't turn out the way that you thought it would, or the response wasn't there. Um, you have to be relying on the Holy Spirit, and sometimes if you are, the Holy Spirit will say, bring up this, or bring up this relationship with this individual. And then that's what's the catalyst for growth. And so we do this in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we disciple others um, for Christ and with Christ.
So let's spend a few minutes, uh, just break into groups uh, four or five and start having these conversations. Any questions on that? We'll get together in about um, probably 10 minutes and we'll um, have kind of a Q&A to wrap everything up. So.
we have kind of the Q&A time. Um, Toby, would you come up? How many of you know Toby? Awesome. Toby's a good friend of mine, and I'm not going to use this anymore. Um, cool. Yeah, so Toby's a good friend of mine. Um, Toby actually uh, went to American University uh, where we were at uh, with Kyle, but in D.C., so um, I was telling them a minute ago about how um, establishment cultures kind of change based on where you're at, and um, how AU is very individualistic, much different establishment from what we're now doing in Southern. Yeah. And, um, and you know that coming from the experience the state. And so um, Toby did the CMIT program with NC State uh, after his time at AU, and, and now he's on staff um, there. He's um, kind of go-to guy. So um, I just wanted to spend just a couple minutes and uh, ask Toby a few questions about discipleship. I had the opportunity to disciple Toby at AU, um, and so uh, kind of a case study here of how that may look, um, and uh, maybe give you a little bit more, instead of just the ethereal, this is what discipleship is, like practical, hey, this is how it happens. So um, one of the things that I was talking about was that discipleship is really based on relationship. How did you see that at AU? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, for me, like, I went into college not being a Christian, um, so relationship was key for me. Um, so the reason I stayed in Chi Alpha really was people um, investing in a friendship with me. Um, it was a lot easier to hang around with people I knew that I didn't agree with um, if I was able to meet with them. Hey, we're just friends. Like they're not trying to teach me something. They just want to know my opinion. I want to know theirs. Um, and then meeting with you, I mean, one of the first things that, that you did was you shared your story. Um, so I think that helped us to, to connect a little bit on like the relational level. Because um, I knew that you were a real person, uh, rather than just like you know, some spiritual mentor that I should tell my deep dark secrets to. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was something I, I didn't even mention was sharing sharing your story. One of the most effective tools you have uh, you have right now, and it's your story. It's um, it's what's so unique to you, how you can share it, how you can tell others. I can remember I do this at any time I'm meeting with. Um, with students, uh, student leaders that I'm mentoring or whatnot. First session is normally, hey, I just want to be open and share my story with you. This is what Jesus has done in my life. This is kind of going out after Paul's model and Acts um, of who I was before Jesus, what Jesus, how I met Jesus, and who I am after. Um, and then the next time, I got Toby to share his story. Yeah. And then it was kind of history from there. Yeah, there was a lot easier to share after you had shared your story. Yeah. And I think, um, not to like Eric or Marjorie, I think one of the things we had identified with certain struggles uh, together, and we were able to then open that kind of can of worms and say, hey, like we both have this in common. What are some ways that you found victory here? Or what are some ways that you um, met Jesus in this or that Jesus has shown up? And those are kind of natural conversations. Um, so we now, when you do, um, of meetings or when you're thinking out, do you have an itinerary for how you do those or is it just kind of natural for you? Um, it kind of, there's kind of a general trend um, with people. So the first few meetings really is that, that relationship building. So it might not even look like us sitting out for lunch or coffee. We might just go do something that that person likes. Um, like I've gone and played football and ultimate frisbee. I really don't enjoy either of those things. Uh, but I'll go do it with the person because I want to tell them about Jesus. Um, but later on, like as that 
the relationship develops, uh, and I have an opportunity to share my story, I get their story. Um, at a certain point, when I know that it's going to be a consistent meeting, um, then I start to think like, okay, how, how does Jesus want this person to grow, and how can I be a part of that? So then our meetings take on a bit more of like, you know, if there's something specific that the Lord needs me to share, or if there's something that, that's been a part of my story that I know will help, I'll share that. But a lot of times, like with people who are really growing, um, they'll show up with questions, and we just kind of catch up on our weeks, maybe we share some accountability stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's overall pretty natural, but I think it does help to have a general <coughs> idea in mind of how the Lord might want them to grow. Yeah, I think um, one thing you just mentioned was um, having an idea uh, and like really being in prayer uh, for that person about like what, what is Jesus trying to get them to? Where, where are they growing? And um, I think so many times those uh, first few conversations, those first few times of building a relationship can extend out um, to uh, about like six or seven or eight of those and then we kind of leave Jesus out of the relationship and we just continue on with the relationship. We always have to keep the goal in mind and the goal is to uh, build a relationship, yes, but continue to bring others um, closer to Jesus.